This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com Okay, good morning everyone. Shalom Aleichem. So we're changing it up a little bit this morning. I want to introduce to you one of the great personalities in Jewish history, Rav Shmuel Hanoged. Rav Shmuel Hanoged is considered the first generation of Rishayim, which means he came right after the Goinim. He was born in Cordova in 993. He passed away in Granada in 1055. Shmuel Hanogid was a student of Rav Chanoich. Who is Rav Chanoich? So, if you want to understand Jewish history, this is probably the most important episode you need to be familiar with. The story of the Arba Shvuyim, the four captives. We spoke about this many times. Where uh, four Rabbanim were setting sail from Bari, Italy... And their, their ship was, uh, was uh, attacked by pirates. And four great scholars were uh, redeemed by four communities throughout Europe. And it really transferred the balance of power from Bavel to Europe. So for example, Rav Shmar Yahu was sold to Alexandria. Rav Chushiel was... Uh, the father of Ben Hanano was sold on the African coast. And uh, Rav Moshe Ben Hanoich was uh, redeemed in Spain. So that, that's basically, if you ever wanted to know, how did Torah get from um, Bavel, Babylonia, the Babylonian academies, to Europe, to Spain, to North Africa, to Egypt, it was through this episode of the Dalad Shvuyim. So Rav Moshe Ben Hanoich comes to Cordova. He's one of the four captives. He was uh, taken over by his son, Rabbeinu Chanoich. Um, now, Rabbi, Rabbeinu Chanoich had a student. Rabbi Chanoich's student was Shmuel Hanoged. Okay? So, Rabbi Chanoich's student was Shmuel Hanoged. Shmuel Hanoged is considered a first-generation Rishon. Other examples of first-generation Rishonim were Rabbeinu Chananel. And Rabbeinu Nisim Goin. So let's say you open up a Gemara Brachais. You look on the side of the page. You have Rav Nisim Goin, first generation Rishain. You have um, Rav Chananel was first generation Rishain. Again, the son of Rav Chushiel. And Shmuel Hanoged. Shmuel Hanoged became a Mechutin with Rav, Rav Nisim Goin. So they were Mechutanim as well. Okay, so now Rav Chanoich ben Moshe was uh, the student of his father, Rav Moshe ben Chanoich. During his lifetime, no one opposed him. He had a great patron. His name was, you might be familiar with this name, Chizdai ibn Shaprut. You ever hear that name? Chizdai ibn Shaprut. And what happened was that after Rav Moshe passed away, his son Rav Chanoich was the leader of Spanish Jewry, but it was challenged by Rabbi Yosef ibn Avisor, who was also a student of his father, Rabbi Chanoich. There was a great split in the community, and uh, in order to put the stri- strife to bed, Rabbi Chanoich had to put Rabbi Yosef into Cheyram. Um, so, you know, if, if you think that splits in communities and uh, between different kehilos are, are a new phenomenon, you know, as they say, it's as old as the hills. So basically, who is Shmuel Hanoged? Shmuel Hanoged is a storekeeper. He is a master of many uh, disciplines. 
For example, sciences, mathematics, calligraphy, Arabian poetry, language. In the year 1012, Cordova is torn by civil war. And uh, Suleiman is victorious, and Shema Hanagid has to run away. Here's a, a, a very uh, important legend about Shmuel Hanagid. Shmuel Hanagid is, uh, he's a shopkeeper, and his store is located near Chabus of Granada. Who's Chabus of Granada? He's the king of Granada. Spain had different regions, so Chabus is the king. The visor is a guy by the name of Al-Arif. One day, the uh, maidservant of Al-Arif asks Shmuel, the shopkeeper, if he, if, uh, he could write some letters to the master. So Shmuel Hanagid composes some letters to Al-Arif. Al-Arif is uh, am- amazingly impressed by Shmuel Hanagid's writing talent. So he said, you know, I'm the visor of the king, and I'm writing these really bad uh, you know, letters on behalf of the king. I should start using, they didn't have AI back then, I should start using Shmuel Hanagid to write my letters for me. So secretly, Shmuel Hanagid was writing all the letters for Al-Arif on behalf of King Chabas. Al-Arif is on his sickbed. He's about to die. King Chabas says, Oy vey, what's going to be with me? I'm not going to have a visor. He said, I'll tell you the truth. I didn't do anything. It was all this shopkeeper, Shmuel Hanagid. Shmuel Hanagid became uh, the Nugid, the prince, because he ascended in uh, universal greatness uh, to the extent where there's actually a palace in uh, Spain, one of the most famous palaces is called the Alhambra Palace. It's uh, a tribute that he owned this palace. That's how powerful Shmuel Hanagid was. And the, so again, he's now the visor of King Chabas. King Chabas dies in 1037. There's a big uh, split. Who should su- succeed the king? Shmuel Hanagid sided with the Das Yechidim, or the minority party, to favor the older son, Badis. However, the majority followed the younger son. Rav Shmuel, Shmuel Hanagid, through his genius, was able to uh, allow Badis to wrestle free the power, and he became the king of Granada. So Badis, the oldest son of Chabas, becomes the king of Granada, and Shmuel Hanogid became the second most important person in the entire world because he's the visor of the, the, the one who succeeded the king of Granada. So he establishes a major uh, Talmudic academy. He gives daily shiurim. He had a tremendous library. Uh, he wrote many compendiums on grammar, poetry, and philosophy. He spent a lot of money... Um, paying for his yeshiva. He became very good friends with Rav uh, Nisim Goin. Rav Nisim Goin was a student of Rav Haigoin. And Rav Nisim Goin and, Rav, and, Sh- and Shmuel Hanagid became Mechutanim. Um, so I want to share with you something very interesting. If you look in the back of any Mesechta on Brachos, you have something called Mavoy HaTalmud. It's very interesting. You look in the back of Mesechta Brachos, right after the rush. So Brachas has uh, 63 blot, right? It ends on the Aftar So right after uh, the Masechta, you have the Rush. And right after the Rush, um, you have something called Klalei HaTalmud. The, you know, introduction to Gemara. Yeah, you know, I always think it would have been nice if somebody would have given some kind of introduction to Gemara instead of, you know, Elam Etziah Shalei Ve'elachai V'lachras. Elam you know, Das is there, Metziah, you know, yeah, you don't know what Gemara, what's a Tashma? 
Anyway, so I want to share with you um, just some ideas that are brought in the Mavoy HaTalmud. Mavoy HaTalmud was written by none other than Shmuel Hanogid. I'm going I'm to tell you one story though. This is a good one. Um, legend has it, this is brought in the Sefer Shalshalas HaKabbalah of the Ravid, the first, which um, the story goes like this. One time... The Shmuel Hanag is walking through the streets and uh, some guy from a store heaped tremendous insult on Shmuel Hanag. cursed him out. So the, the king got very upset. He said to Shmuel Hanag, you're the visor, cut off his tongue. So what did Shmuel Hanag do? He sent the man a very great gift. He sent him a great present. Okay, a little while later, um, Shmuel Hanag is passing by with the king and the man comes out and he hurls on Shmuel Hanag a tremendous compliment. So the king says to Shmuel Hanag, I don't understand, I told you to cut off his tongue. Shmuel Hanag says, I did. I gave him a present. So his tongue was cut off. He couldn't wag his sharp evil tongue against me. Now look, you see, now he's only hurling compliments on me. Okay, that's a, a famous story about Shmuel Hanag. In the, in the, what I want to discuss this morning is an interesting machloikis, Shmuel Hanogid and the Rambam regarding something called Mechilta. Anybody know what Mechilta is? What is a Mechilta? We know there's something called Nedosh Rabbah. There's something called Nedosh Tanchuma. Then there's something called Mechilta. Mechilta is the Torah Shabal Peh on Shemais. Sifra is the Torah Shabal Peh on Vayikra. Sifra has another name. What, what else is Sifra known as? Tairas Kohanim. Okay? And then there's the Sifri on Devarim. So Mechilta is Shemais. You say, what happened to Bereshis? There's no Halacha on Bereshis. Bereshis just has Medrash. So Medrash is, so to speak, the Agarata. And the Mechilta is the Halacha. Mechilta is on Shemais. Sifra is on Vayikra. Sifri is on Devarim. So What's the, the Shmuel Hanagat says an amazing thing. If you were to break up the Gemara, the Talmud Bavli, into different, you know, if you could identify, you know, sometimes in Yeshiva, they ask, okay, what is this? Is this a question? Is this an answer? Is this a proof? Is this a... But we know there are different kinds of questions. There's Eisve, there's Maskif, there, so there, there, there's Masiv, there's, there are proofs, there are questions. How many different... In other words, if you could break up every part of Gemara into different... How many different possibilities can a step in Gemara be? Now, to break up Gemara into one of X number of components, Shemal HaNugget identifies all the possibilities of what a Gemara can be. So I want to read to you from the beginning. Amar HaMachaber. HaTalmud Nechlak Lishnei Chalakim. Gemara is broken up into two parts. Mishnah, Uperush HaMishnah, the Mishnah, and the explanation of the Mishnah. HaMishnah hi HaNikreis Tarish Peh. Mishnah is called the Oral Law. Vihi Yisoyed HaTayra. This is the foundation of the Torah. Shehatikai Mimoyish Rabbeinu Al Vashalom. Ad Yimei Rabbeinu HaKadosh. The Mishnah is the Tarish Peh, which is the foundation of the Torah, which was copied from Moshe until Rebbe. Who's Rebbe? V'hu Rebbe Hu Hanasi. 
And what else is he called? He's called Rabbeinu HaKadosh. Why is he called Rabbeinu HaKadosh? V'nikra Kadosh. Shemiyamav lehichnes yadoi min ha'avnet ulamata. He's called holy because he never in his life put his hands below his waist. Why did he write the oral law? He wrote it to preserve it. Lest it be forgotten. So you have Mishnah. Then you have the commentary to the Mishnah. The commentary to the Mishnah. The commentary could also be broken up into two parts. Number one. The Gemara is also broken up into two parts. Part one is the halacha we hold like. Part two is the halacha we don't hold like. The part, the halacha we hold like is what God told Moshe. The halacha we don't hold like is what God didn't tell Moshe. So you ask a question, why in the world would anybody put into a body of information the halacha we don't hold like and what Hashem didn't tell Moshe? I mean, it would make everyone's life easier if Talmud, if the Dafyami wasn't a seven and a half year cycle, it was a two and a half year cycle. And maybe instead of doing a blad a day, we could do a half an amad a day, and you'd have a lot more lamedim. But what in, the, what in the world do we need? Why include information God did not tell Moshe? So I know everyone has their philosophical answers. No, it's not. God didn't tell this to Moshe. It might be wise. It might help us understand what we do hold like. But the bottom line is, God didn't tell it to Moshe. What? The Messiah over the years has gotten lost. And that's... But, so just include what's correct. Why include what's not correct? So look what he says. Hamekuyemes hui shalomda mipi Moshe What's correct is what we learned from Moshe. Moshe and Moshe from God. Whether it's the opinion of a minority. Similarly, which is pushed away is Shaloinetka is what was not learned from God and from Aisha. So basically, Talmud Bavli includes good and correct information and incorrect information. So you'll ask, Why did Rebbe include in the Mishnah opinions that we don't hold like? You should have just written what we do hold like. You know what the answer is? He said, because Tuchal Hashiva, you can answer as follows. Ki hachachomim hakarmainim, the earliest authorities, kol echad ve'echad, he'etik lenafshoi, mashalamad. All the early Tanam, they copied over what they learned, whether it was halachalamaisa or whether it wasn't. In other words, they didn't necessarily know what was halachalamaisa, what wasn't. So, v'chshabara, beinu ha'kadosh, lahatik, you ready for this? When Rebbe came along, he had to codify even what was not halacha, so that in later generations, nobody gets up and says, oh, what are you talking about? You say this is halacha? That's what you learned from your Rebbe. I learned from my Rebbe something else. So Rebbe had to write all the opinions and say, this is right and that's wrong. Meaning we need to write the wrong opinions so that we know it's wrong. Because if we only write the correct opinions, later someone's going to come and say, no, my opinion is correct.
So therefore, Rebbe wrote what's right, and Rebbe wrote what's wrong, and he gave us rules to know what's right and what's wrong. But if we can't have anything coming later and saying, no, no, you, you, forgot, to, you forgot this opinion. So Rebbe had to include all the opinions to know what's correct and what's wrong. This is what I learned. And if he says it, if he says this is what I learned, Yeshivuhu, we're going to respond to him. It is not, it is not correct. That's what Chazal say in Idios. Why do we incorporate the view? Why do we codify the view of an individual in the face of the many? Levatla, to say that it's wrong. So that if somebody comes, and says, I heard like this, we say, we, already, we, we know that one already, and it's wrong. So that's the Indian of including, whether in the Mishnah or the Gemara, opinions that we don't hold like. So that nobody comes and says later, no, no, that's not the right conclusion. You forgot about this opinion. No, we didn't forget about everything. We laid everything out there, and we come to a conclusion. So that's the reason, basically, why um, the, the incorrect opinions are included. Ah, now, what is Gemara? This is very interesting. Look on the page that begins, V'hachila kabez. V'hachila kabez, Mishnei ha-chalakim, shal perish ha-mishnah. The second part of Tar Shabbat which is the commentary to the Mishnah, V'hu ha-gemara, Yizchalek l'chaf alef chalakim. Could be one of 21 different categories. Isn't that interesting? There could be a Gemara could be one one of twenty one different things. It could be Toisefta. It could be Brisa. So obviously we need to identify what are these things. What is Toisefta? What is Brisa? Perush, commentary. She'ela, a question. Tshuva, an answer. So She'ela is, you know, the Bnei Yeshiva were wondering about this. Like an Iboi. Kusha, an attack. Peruk, an answer. Tiyufta, a refutation. Siyua, a support. Ramia, a contradiction. Askafta, a powerful question. Hatzracha, why we need two statements. Maisa, a story. Shmaitza, a tradition. Sugya, after what's a Sugya? Halacha, Ateku, Hagada, Hayrab, Sak, Shita, Shanoi. So basically, Gemara could be one of 21 things. It's interesting that we know that on the Tfilin Shalroish, you have a shin. One shin has three heads, one shin has four heads. You ever wonder why do we have a three headed shin and a four headed shin? Why do we have a three-headed shin and a four-headed shin? Gemara Chagiga says that uh, originally, right now we have Shisha Sidrei Mishnah. But we only have six orders of the Mishnahis. But they used to have 600 orders of the Mishnahis. So that would have been a very long cycle. If you're learning Mishnah Yomis, let's say, so instead of taking six years, it would, t- it would take... 16 years. No, 600. It would take 600 years. 
That's a very long time, six hundred years. Very, that could that could take time. Six hundred years, that could take a lot of time. So the crown of the Jew is a Tarshabah path. We allude to it in the two shins. Shin is 300, shin is 300, 600. We wear the tire on our head. But there's an opinion in Chagiga that there were 700 Siddharm in the Mishnah. So therefore one of the shins has a fourth head to indicate 400. But it comes out, does anybody know how many times Hashem's name is mentioned in Tzalan? 21. Why? Because the Gemara is 21 parts. There are 21 different chalakim of Gemara. So there are 21 different mentions of the name of Hashem. Today I want to talk about Mechelta. The, if, if you have a Gemara Brachis, the in the Mavai HaTamud, on the next page, I don't know what happened here. Um, oh, yeah, you have it. Look on the page that begins the Sefta. Okay? Ha-toisefta hi shiur ha-mishnah. Toisefta is remnants of the Mishnah. Say, what do you mean remnants of the Mishnah? The Mishnah is the Mishnah. No, remnants of the 600 Siddharim. So Toisefta is a remnant of the original Mishnah. And how do you know when something is a Toisefta? When we say Tana, the word Tana signifies Toisefta. When it comes on the heels of the Mishnah, he halacha mekuyemes. And what's Brisa? The Habrisa Kol Hasfarim Shehetiku Hakarmoinim Achar Hamishnah. All the books that the early greats codified and wrote after the Mishnayis, Kamoi Mishnas Rabbechia, the Tanaitic material Rabbechia, U Mishnas Rabbechia, U Mishnas Rabbechia, Yaakov. Remember, the Gemara sometimes says, Mishnas Rabbechia, Yaakov, Kav Venaki. So anything taught after the era of the Mishnah is called a Brisa. U Mechilta de Rabbi Yishmael, the Mechilta of Rabbi Yishmael, the Oisiois de Rabbi Akiva, the Toiras Kayanim, which is the Sifra, the Sefer Vayikra Levad, the Sifri, which is Bamid Bar Sinai, Beladvarm Kiyotzebehem. How do you know when something's a Brisa? Tanarabanan. By the way, Tough Resh. What's Gematria of Tough Resh? 600! This comes like a leftover from the 600 Siddharim. Or Vitani Chada, or Tanya Idach. And if there's no Mach like this, it's Halacha Mekuyemes. Bottom line is, what does he call Mechilta? Mechilta. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.